Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. How's everybody doing today? Good. You sang so well just now. I'm so thankful for the way you just belted it as you sang. So thank you for that. Can we celebrate the songs that we sang and the people who sang them today? Can we do that? That's a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful for that. I think that's great. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Misael Gonzalez is also one of our pastors. Today, he is on the Owasso campus preaching. And one of the reasons why he's preaching on the Owasso campus is because, and I'm thankful that you've continued to pray for, Pastor Chris, Chris Wall, you saw him in the video at the beginning. He's in quarantine right now. He's not been diagnosed with COVID. He's not tested positive, but he was in close proximity for an extended period of time with someone who was, and and so that was about a week, almost a week and a half ago. This week he'll be back in the office. He's done fine the entire time, but I'm just so grateful for your prayers for him and for the way you continue to pray for our staff, the way you continue to pray for our church, and just the people uh, that God has entrusted to us all together here in Tulsa and in Owasso. That's a great thing. I do, before we jump into the passage for today, I want to point you towards something. If you take out, if you have a cell phone with you, if you'll take your cell phone out, you'll notice that on the chair in front of you there's a QR code and a text message or a text number there, you can do one or the other. It'll take you to the same place. You can scan the QR code and it'll take you to a website. And on that website, you have a place where you can just kind of check in and let us know that you're here. There are sermon notes that are there that you can fill in on your device. There are also, uh, there's also the bulletin for this week, kind of the digital bulletin. So you can scan that QR code and you can get to all of those things right there in one space. If you don't want to scan the QR code, you can send the word hello to, to that text number. You can text the word hello to the number that's on the chair there. It'll send you a link to the same space. And so it's an easy way for you to catch the sermon notes, an easy way for you to catch the bulletin, what's going on in the life of the church. And it's also an easy way for you to check in and say, I'm here. Because that's one of the things we've been saying during our series, that the, the, the series that we're in is called Together in a Changing World. And it's the idea that your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. It's not that you can't not have a, it's not that it's impossible to have faith in Christ or that you're lost without the church. That's not it at all. It's that just God designed us to be better together. And that's one of the things we've been learning. And so really, if you wanted to just let your presence be known here, whether you're listening online, watching online, or whether you're in the room, if you just wanted to let your presence be known, that's a great way to do it. It's just a simple way to say, hey, I'm here in worship. I'm with you. I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. And so you just click that top button and uh, give us your email address and name. And that just lets us know that we're all together in this. And so I'm thankful that we get to do that together today. So the thing that we're going to talk about today is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you've turned there in your sermon notes on your device, 2 Timothy 2 is, is listed there, so you'll be able to read that with us. And if you don't have a Bible or a device with us in just a moment, you'll be able to read it on the screen. We're going to read it together in just a moment. But one of the things that I want us to notice today as we read this passage of Scripture is just how powerful belief is inside your life. The things you believe shape your life in remarkable ways. And so that's really, as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2 in just a moment, I just want you to notice some things that people believe and the way it affects the way they act, the, the, the choices that they make, the words they use and the actions they choose. I want you to notice that as we read this passage of Scripture. And as you think about it with me, I just want you to consider the ways that somebody's belief 
influences the way they act. I, I have a friend who used to own a convenience store. And you know, in Oklahoma, people sell lottery tickets from convenience stores, right? So there are some people who believe that if I just will spend the money on this lottery ticket, that someday I'm going to get rich because they're going to call all my numbers. They just believe that, so they'll come into a convenience store, they'll pay the money to get a lottery ticket, and then every time those numbers come out, their belief is proven to be yeah, I didn't win anything. <laughs> I, just, I just gave up. It's just a different kind of tax, right? And my friend who owned the convenience store, he chose not to sell the lottery tickets in his convenience store. And I thought it was really funny because I was in the store once when somebody came in saying, hey, man, do you sell lottery tickets? And my friend was behind the counter. He goes, no, but I tell you what, if you give me $20, I'll give you $10 back and tell you that you won something. See, and so that's kind of the way the lottery works. And, but it's amazing what belief will drive people to do. All week long, I don't know if you've noticed or not. Did, did anybody notice that we've, I think we've had an election. Did you notice that? Yeah, we've had an election. There are some people who believe passionately that their candidate won, and they're having parties in the street because they believe their candidate won. And there's an, another candidate who believes passionately that he hasn't lost yet. And he's uh, talking in the courts and tweeting and making all kinds of statements, all because of what he believes. It's amazing how belief influences the way we act. And so as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want you to keep that framework in your mind. Now, one of the things we do here, uh, we just love the, the opportunity to read God's word together. We believe that this is God's written word to us. And so we like to honor the reading of God's word by standing together as we read it. And then at, at the end of it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And the congregation responds, praise be to God. So let's do that now. Let's stand together out of honor for God's word. And we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to verse 26. 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 26. Here's what it says. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. 
Praise be to God. Thank you so much. You can be seated. And I just want us to to be able to to recognize from this passage, we're going to narrow the focus. We read a large section of Scripture there, 14 through 26. We're really going to spend the majority of our time in two or three verses today that really highlight and illustrate exactly what I mean when I say what I'm about to say next. But I think you are, are already beginning to see the truth, the principle from God's word today that is the one point for this message today. The one thing I want you to catch today out of scripture is this. It's this idea that belief becomes behavior. That's the thing I want you to catch today. That the things you believe are what you do and anything else is really some form of religious talk. You may talk a really good game. You may know all the right language and all the right words. You may be kind to people, but, but in your heart there may be something else going on because belief becomes behavior. Actually, I've heard some people describe some other, other people that I know and they'll say something like, you know, they're not good and they're not bad, they're just nice. They're not helpful and they're not in my way. They're just nice. Well, that's not to say that nice is bad. Nice is nice, right? But belief becomes behavior. And so it's really important for you to consider what you believe and for you to measure your actions and your words against these beliefs. It's actually why we as a church, we have a series of core beliefs that we really cling to. They're the kinds of things that are foundational beliefs. And if I were to describe the way core values, core beliefs works, here's the way I would describe that. There are some things in our life that are just kind of non-negotiable, right? Inside your family, you have some things in your family that with your kids or with your spouse that are just non-negotiable. I'm going to be faithful to my wife I'm not going to pledge my life or anything else. I'm not going to put my eyes on. I'm not going to put my desire towards anyone else but my wife. That's one of those core values inside our family. There's another core value inside our family. We are going to cheer for the University of Oklahoma. We're going to do that. And, and we're going to do that because if I, I, I graduated from OBU. I didn't go to OU. But if I didn't cheer from OU, for OU, my life with my wife would be very different. Right? Happy wife. Happy life, if mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy's not happy, ain't nobody cares, right? You remember, that's that's how that works. Belief becomes behavior, and when it comes to core values inside your life, I'll bet there's some non-negotiable things that you cling to. You know, and then there are family values. The one about OU really was a joke, and that's really a family value of ours. From one family to the next, actually, our core values actually unite us with other families. Our core values unite us with the people inside this church and and people who aren't even in the community of Tulsa or Owasso or Oklahoma City or even Oklahoma. They're the kinds of core values that are based on something outside of me, something bigger than me. They're rules that I didn't set and my wife didn't influence. They're rules that didn't come from my parents or my culture. They're rules and regulations. Maybe they're not even rules and regulations regulations, maybe it's more simple than that. They're just beliefs that come from an authority that's just bigger than me. That's where core values come from. Family values come from me and my wife, right? 
Family values, my kids go to bed around nine o'clock at night. My younger kids go to bed around nine o'clock at night. Your kids may stay up later. They may go to bed earlier. That's a family value. It can change. You know, from one campus to another, there's some family values between our two campuses that are a little bit different. Here we have one service and one Sunday school, and someday we believe that will be different. We believe we'll have one service or two services with, with one Sunday school, and then someday we might have two services and two Sunday school. That's something that may come into the future. Right now, on the Owasso campus, they already have two services and two Sunday schools. Family values that kind of change from one location to another. They're, they're about just the ways we do things. And then the last piece of it is just this idea of preferences. Preferences are some like it hot and some like it cold. We had this great discussion downstairs with the students this morning about what is the best kind of candy there is, and we all agreed that it's chocolate. Okay, okay, so we didn't really all agree. That's my preference. We did all agree, though, that the worst kind of candy is black licorice, that we're not sure why from the bowels of hell God would allow such a thing. But we, we kind of all came to agreement on again. Core values, family values, and preferences. See, I started talking about candy and suddenly I lost you. Isn't that awesome? Um, core values, family values, and preferences. Core values never change because they're bigger than all of us and they come from someplace bigger than me. Family values, well, those are cultural issues. Your family's different than mine. You're, some like it hot, some like it cold, some like it, some's a little country, some's a little rock and roll, some like chocolate, some like hard candy, those kinds of things. And then, then there's preferences, and inside preferences, one of the things that I believe that it's important for mature believers to do, actually, Scripture actually teaches that mature believers will set aside their preferences for the sake of those who are less mature. It's actually, uh, you heard Chris say, hey, let's be kind and be thoughtful about our masks. And so you might think that there are some who are, that's uh, it, not a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. It's not an indication of your spiritual maturity, whether, you not, whether or not you wear a mask. That's not what the issue is. But I do want to try to be kind around those people who are concerned about masks. And so whether I think masks are effective or not, when I'm with someone who who needs some help with that, I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to lay aside my preference. There are some moments when, well, with my own kids, I've done at Disney World or I've done in my backyard or I've done in my living room some of the most foolish, silly, dumb, crazy games. I've made a complete and utter fool of myself because I was setting aside my preference to watch that football game so that I could spend time with my younger kids because I've learned to love some things or to, to express some interest in some things that don't really interest me but I'm expressing interest in them in, in those things because I'm interested in the people who are interested in them I'm I'm caring I'm, I'm, I'm showing attention to something that I don't care about because of the people I do care about right isn't that the way preferences work you set aside your preferences as someone who is a little more mature for the sake of connecting with someone who is a little in a little need of maturing. So those are some things that we see in Scripture. And today, that idea that belief becomes behavior is really critical to us. And so our church has several core values that we cling to. We're only going to take a look at three of them. We're going to spend more time on one of the three than we do the rest of them. But I want you to see these three core values because they're really important to us. And that idea that belief becomes behavior. What you believe about these three things, I, I can guarantee you this. What you believe about these three things shapes everything else about who you are. It shapes everything else about your life. 
And so that's why these core values are so important. If you don't believe what scripture says about these things, I can guarantee you the quality of your life is something less than God intends. It's just something less. I can guarantee you that the feeling that you have in your heart on a regular basis is gonna lend itself towards something that's unhealthy rather than something that's healthy. I look in our culture today and we actually live in the richest country in the history of history, right? Our, our poor people in this country are richer than some rich people in other countries. We are so exceptionally blessed as a people, yet depression and dissatisfaction and discouragement are everywhere. And we see students and we see children that are struggling with their identity and struggling with boredom and struggling with depression. I've never seen so many people so depressed. And the reasons why is simple. It's because our belief is out of balance. We've put our belief into something that's not scriptural. We've put our belief into something that's not bigger than we are. We've actually put our belief into something that's smaller than we are, something that we can control, something that we can understand. And because belief becomes behavior, then suddenly this thing that I think of myself is just far too small. And depression sits in. And you know what God says? God says, you don't have to live like that anymore. So let's take a look. Three core values in the life of our church that I just want us to check out today. The first one you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and it's just in the very first part of the verse, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God. Do your, do your best to present yourself to God. Here's the very first core value that I think all the other core values rest on top of, and it's very simple. We believe that God is our perfect, all-powerful creator. It's a core value of our church. It's a core value of who I am. I hope it's one of your core values that you believe that God is our perfect, all-powerful creator. I hope you believe that because if belief becomes behavior, then recognizing that God is perfect, that God is all-powerful, that God is our creator, that does something to me. That does something in me. That means that God, if God is perfect, that means everything he does is right. And because he did it, that is what made it right. And so I can trust everything that God does. In the middle of the conflict, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of confusion, when things aren't going my way, when things in the election are a little confused, when all the stuff in the economy is, is chaotic, when all of those things are going on, because God is perfect, I can trust that whatever he does is right. Because God is all-powerful, I can trust that God does what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. And because he's perfect, everything he does is right. But now watch this, and this is where it gets really personal. God is perfect, and he is all-powerful, but he is also your creator. He created, he created you. And if he's perfect, and if he's all-powerful, then what the Bible says about you must be true, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's perfect, he's all-powerful, and he is your creator. And if my belief becomes my behavior, then what I believe God thinks of me matters more than anything else. 
Because that's the thing that's going to become the way I talk and the way I act. It's going to be the thing that influences my emotions and my mind and my will. It's going to influence everything else. You know, if God created you, if God created you, you know what that means? It's, of course, it says, the Bible says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. But, but watch this. The value of everything you own is only determined by three things. The value of everything you own is only deter- determined by three things. Who, who made it? Who purchased it? And what was the purpose for which it was created? And you know what? That's the way your value is measured by God too. Your value is measured by who made you, who purchased you, and his purpose for you. I have a friend in Owasso who had a guitar. And he happened to, his daughter happened to be on a soccer team with Garth Brooks' daughter, right? And uh, that's pretty impressive. Just, and so they're kind of buddies. They kind of know each other. So this friend has this guitar. It's a little $800 guitar. Um, nice guitar, played it. It's, it's, it's a good guitar, um, but not top of the line and not bottom of the line, just somewhere in the middle of the road. And he's playing this guitar, and Garth Brooks notices and says, hey, could I, could I play that guitar? And so Garth takes the guitar, and he plays the guitar. And it sounds way better than when my buddy plays it. You know, it's just weird how that works. But he plays this guitar, and you know what happened? The value of that guitar increased. Because someone who was an expert with the guitar knew what to do with it, right? And then, watch what, what, what happened. Garth goes, man, this is awesome. And he takes out a Sharpie. I don't know, I guess when you're that famous, you walk around with Sharpies in your back pocket. And he signs the guitar. And he hands it back to my friend. He says, you've just done such great things for my daughter. I just want to give this to you. It's your guitar, right? I just want to give this back to you. But, but the value of the guitar just increased once again, right? Your value is measured by who made you, by who purchased you, and God's purpose for you. The value of that guitar just went up astronomically just because of one signature. I have another friend, and this is such an amazing thing. Um, he owns a, a Mustang convertible. It's an anniversary edition Mustang convertible. A great, great car. His wife bought it for him for Christmas. What an amazing gift. It was an amazing thing. And he likes to show cars because this is just kind of his hobby. And so he took his Mustang convertible. It happened to be a Shelby convertible. So he took this Mustang convertible to Las Vegas to a car show. And at the car show, I don't know if you're car people or not, but Carol Shelby was there, okay? Anniversary edition, Mustang Shelby convertible. Carol Shelby was there, and he sees my buddy's car. And he's like, this is, I did good. (laughs) The value of that car, that, that car was more valuable not simply because it was a Mustang, but because it was an anniversary edition Mustang. And not simply because it was an anniversary edition Mustang, it was a convertible, but not just because it was a convertible, but it had Carol Shelby's name on it because he's the one who made it. It was more valuable because of that. And then watch what Carol Shelby did. He goes, this is really nice. He sat down in the passenger seat. And just like all famous people do, I guess I'm gonna have to start carrying a Sharpie around. He pulls a Sharpie out and he signs the dashboard of my buddy's Shelby convertible anniversary edition Mustang. And the value of that Mustang just went through the roof. And my friend is just floored. He doesn't know what to do. So he comes back home. He brings his car back home with him. And watch this. Two months later, two months later, Carol Shelby calls him at his home <laughs> and says, hey, I'm making, 
I'm making a poster of all my cars. <laughs> and I want yours to be the convertible that's in my poster. Well, I want my car to be the convertible. That's, that he never stopped thinking, Carol Shevlin never stopped thinking of this car as his car. I want, you to, I want my car to be in it. And so he flew my buddy back out with his Mustang convertible to Las Vegas and had this big photo shoot. Your value is measured by who created you, who purchased you, and the purpose that you were made for. And better than any car or any guitar, better than any car or any guitar, God says, the creator, your creator, is looking into your heart and your eyes right now and saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know how I know? Because I made you. I wrote my name on your heart. And I didn't do it with a Sharpie because the value isn't just by who made you, it's about who purchased you. Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he purchased you with his blood. He purchased you and he wrote your na his name on your heart. He wrote his name on your heart in his blood. And then you know what else he did? He gave you this incredible purpose. He gave, it's, it's verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. I don't know how you may feel today. And I know this for certain. Belief becomes behavior. If you've been walking around mopey and depressed, if you've been walking around discouraged, if you believe that you're not worth anything, you're gonna act like it. Maybe you need to believe something true and something else that God made you. Christ purchased you with his blood and he has given you an incredible, an incredible purpose. Look back at 2 Timothy 2.15 again. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You see, here's the next thing we believe. We believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that this book is God's word. The reason why I know these things about God's desire for me is because he's, he's revealed it to us. It's one of the most amazing things about God. He is the all-perfect, all-powerful creator, yet he desires to have a meaningful and a deep and an intimate fellowship relationship with you and with me. And I know that because he's shown me in his word one of the things my mom taught me all my life is she'd say, she would say, Chad, I don't know what you believe about the Bible yet. I hope you believe it's true, and I'm going to try to teach you that it's true. I'm going to try to show you that it's true, but I can guarantee you this. Your life will be better if you live by the principles and precepts in this book, and you will be better at life. Your life will be better, and you will be better at life if you live by the principles and precepts of this book. Do you know why? Because God wrote it. Do you know why? Because God understands your life and my life and our world better than anybody else and he's revealed himself through this book and his desire for you is only good and his desire for this world is that it would be redeemed and restored and that all these hurts that we feel, all these sins that we've committed, that somehow they would be forgiven and overcome and that in that forgiveness and in that overcoming that all would be restored and that we would be able to walk with God, not just now, but forevermore. And isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ did for me and for you? What does it mean to rightly 
divide the word of truth? Well, it means to be in this book, to understand what it says, to believe him and, and to take him at his word, to believe what he says about who he is, to believe what he says about who you are, to believe what he says about the people around you are and how we should interact with one another. That's, that's the incredible power of God's mercy and God's grace, that in his grace and in his mercy, he would take the sin that we've committed in his mercy and forgive it and the sin that's hurt us so deeply that someone else has committed against us and by his grace that he would heal it and that he would give us this eternal, powerful, incredible purpose that we would be the people that would, everywhere we go, we would spread his grace and his mercy to those around us. We learn and understand all of that because of what this book tells us. Belief becomes behavior. Well, how do I know what to believe? Read the book. Belief becomes behavior. How do I know how to do right? How do I know how to think right? How do I know how to feel right? How do I know how to act right? Don't take my word for it. <laughs> Read the book and see what God has to say to you. It's another one of our core beliefs. We believe that God is all-powerful, and we believe that he's all-perfect, and he is your creator. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you, you've been made by someone who's incredible, you've been purchased by someone who's amazing, you have this incredible purchase, and we know all of that because we believe the Bible is true. And here's the last thing. 2 Timothy 2.19 is where we're gonna be. 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. I want to read that one more time. That's such a good verse. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Belief becomes behavior. And you know what I believe with my whole heart? I believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope. It's that simple. I believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope. I've already referenced it. Your life has been hurt by your sin. You've hurt yourself and you've hurt others by your sin. Beyond that, um, other people's sin has hurt you and it's hurt, and they've hurt themselves. And you know what that hurt does? It does more than just hurt temporarily. The sin that we commit separates us from God and separates us from one another. But the reason why Jesus Christ is our only hope is because he is the one who came to forgive his people of their sins. He's the one who came so that he could take your sin nature and remove it from you and replace it with his righteousness. It's this great, it's this great transaction that takes place where God imputes, it's a great big word and I love it, he imputes God's, or Christ's righteousness into your life. So when he looks at you, when God sees you, he doesn't see the sin, he doesn't see the hurt, he doesn't see the failure or the depression or the discouragement, he doesn't see all those things that you've done to break your own life or to break someone else's. What he sees when you believe in him, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ through you. And the reason why he's able to do that is because Jesus willingly laid his life down on the cross at Calvary. He sacrificed, God sacrificed his one and only son so that you might be forgiven, so that you might be saved. And guess what? Belief becomes behavior. So do you want to know what you believe today? I'm not, I don't have to tell you. All you have to do is look at your own life. 
That's all you have to do. Look at your schedule. Look at your budget. Look at, look at the way you talk. Look at the way you act. What do you believe God believes about you? Your behavior shows it. What do you believe Jesus has done for you? Your behavior is the evidence. I don't have to do any more or say any more to be persuasive. I don't have to convince you of the truth because what you believe shows in your behavior. And anything else is little less than religious talk. And so today, the question is simple. Who do you believe? I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few minutes. Would you take God at his word today? Would you trust that what his word says is true? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, we're all broken by sin. I'm broken by my sin. I struggle with depression and discouragement and I struggle with wanting to do things my own way and I struggle with rebellion and, and sometimes I'm just a jerk. I struggle with all of those things and all of those things have broken my relationship with God and with other people and so I desperately need his forgiveness and I'm so thankful that my creator, I'm so thankful that my creator has looked at me and said, I love you anyway with an everlasting love. I didn't just create you, but I've purchased you with the blood of my son and I've replaced, I don't see that sin anymore. I see my son's righteousness and he's given me this incredible purpose. He's done exactly the same thing for you. So will you believe him today? In just a moment, I'm gonna pray after I pray, it's an opportunity for you to wrestle a little bit with what it is that God's got going on inside your heart. Maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as saying, God, I believe what you say about me is true. I want to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I want to trust in you for everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's a simple prayer that expresses a belief that you have in him that becomes the behavior that shows that you are trusting and following Maybe you need to do that as we sing. Maybe today you're someone who is a follower of Christ and in following him, you've just simply forgotten the grace that he's given to you. And because you've forgotten the grace that he's, that he's given to you, you find it hard to be gracious to the people around you. Remember. Remember that God loved you when you were broken and he loves you in your brokenness right now and he's made you for a specific purpose and ask God to help you to be gracious and forgiving to the people who need it most to the people who have hurt you the most to the people who are in this very room who may not have ever trusted in Jesus before find it in your heart to be gracious because God's been gracious to you so after I pray, we're going to say amen and we'll stand together and we'll sing and it's an opportunity for you to do business with God. I'll be down here down front. If you wanted to ask someone some questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I'd be happy to answer those questions. You don't have to come down during the service. After the service is over, you could find me or Jonathan or Josh. You could find Clayton or Marsha or any or Bruce or any of the people, Sarah, any of the people who are here today. You could find any of us and say, hey, I've got some questions. I'm not sure I believe the right things. My behavior shows it. So help me to understand. Help me believe. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful and thankful for what you've done for me. I'm so amazed. God, I am so amazed 
that you as the creator of the universe would have any interest in someone as small and as insignificant as I am, but you say that you love me with an everlasting love and you've, you've shown it time and time and time again. You've demonstrated your loving kindness towards me and towards my family and towards the people of this church and people in this community. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to believe it. And just like Peter said, help us in our unbelief, Father. Help us to believe you. Thank you for the sacrifice of your one and only son, Jesus, on the cross at Calvary. I pray that today someone would place their faith in you because of him, that they would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and that together we would trust you for everything that pertains to life and godliness, that we would see and we would follow and you would reveal to us that incredible purpose that you've made us all for. Father, we give ourselves completely to you today, and we surrender. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.